Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Notice two things, that he had to stay in the city uh, until he stands before the congregation. So he had to go through a trial for judgment, and then he had to wait until the death of the high priest. If he was found not guilty, he still had to wait until the death of the high priest. And it's interesting to me that freedom can only come after the death of the high priest. And you think about who is our high priest? Jesus Christ. Our freedom came after the death of our high priest, Jesus Christ. Today on Truth in Christ, Scripture says, He shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment. Welcome to our Bible study for today. To be protected against an avenger of blood, the accused had to stay within the walls of the city of refuge. Only after his case was fully heard by the proper authorities and until the death of the standing high priest could he be set free. We too stand accused by the enemy, but Jesus, our high priest, died a horrific death to free us from our sin. When we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we receive the gift of freedom from what we deserve. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's important study. This word means goel or geel, and you know this from the book of Ruth. The kinsman redeemer, that's what this is. The avenger of blood is the kinsman redeemer. This is uh, someone who is um, uh, the next male in, uh, in age, the, the eldest male. And he would be the, the avenger of blood. He would be called a goel. And um, he had four different roles in his life. Uh, the first one is if he, uh, say, uh, two brothers... Uh, had two wives, and one of the brothers died without um, having children. The older brother would go in unto his wife and raise up uh, children in his brother's name. And so that would be one of the acts or one of the things that a goel would do, a kinsman redeemer. And another one would to would be to uh, redeem him from slavery. Um, if he owed a debt and uh, he paid the debt himself instead of letting his brother be a slave, he could redeem him instead. Another thing that he could do is to redeem land and also to exact vengeance. And that's really what an avenger of blood is. So if someone were to kill me, my brother would be the avenger of blood. But the avenger of blood is the Goel. And this was a family protector. He was the near kinsman. That's what his... That's what he did. And you see this term in the book of Ruth over 10 times, like 12, 15 times, something like that. You see this avenger of blood or the the kinsman redeemer. So that's who this is. 
So going on to verse 5, he says, Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but did not hate him beforehand. And again, we've established that this is involuntary manslaughter. And and notice uh, that the Lord gave us good examples. And these kind of things happen, don't they? Involuntary manslaughter. We see it on the news all the time. It amazes me. I don't know what it is about Florida, but when we were in Florida... We turn on the news, and it's just like, I can't believe how many people are killing each other in Florida. I don't know what, is it the heat? Is it making them mad? I don't know what it is. Maybe the sunshine on the head is just caught baking the brain. I don't know what it is. But there just seems to be a lot of crime down in southwest Florida, and it's just happening a lot. But anyway, we'll go on to verse 6. He says, and he shall dwell in that city, in, in the, one of these re- cities of refuge, before the congregation, uh, be, until he stands before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of one who is high priest in those days. And then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house, after the high priest dies, of course, to the city which he fled. And, you know, the Lord knows the nature of man, and he makes provision, again, for these cities to allow justice, justice to be done rightly, right? To be done rightly. So if there is a, a trial, there is a, a sentence, and that's important. Notice two things, that he had to stay in the city uh, until he stands before the congregation. So he had to go through a trial for judgment, and then he had to wait until the death of the high priest. If he was found not guilty, he still had to wait until the death of the high priest. And it's interesting to me that freedom can only come after the death of the high priest. And you think about who is our high priest? Jesus Christ. Our freedom came after the death of our high priest, Jesus Christ. It was after he died that really we became free. Isn't that what it says in John chapter 8? It says, if you abide in my word, Jesus said, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He shall make you free. And it goes on in in verse 36 of that same chapter, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. And so after the Son has died on the cross, our great high priest Jesus, we have now been made free. In fact, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Actually, you know what? Let's skip. Uh, you might, if you've got notes, just write this scripture reference down. But for the sake of time, we're going to go to the other passage. Write down Hebrews uh, 2, verses 14 through 18. Hebrews 2. Verses 14 through 18, but where we're going to go right now is actually Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 14, and we're going to continue on till chapter 5, verse 11. Let me read it to you. You can go there as well. But notice, don't believe what I tell you, and most of you know this already, but let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, the writer of Hebrews says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So the author of Hebrews had no problem saying that Jesus is our high priest. He passed through the heavens. Remember when he ascended on high 40 days after his resurrection? Jesus, the Son of God, he says, Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, notice, yet without sin. And that's what a high priest does. He understands. He's not just some unfeeling guy who's in a role to just take care of these things. Jesus knew exactly what we went through, but without sin. There's the difference. Let us, verse 16, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
chapter 5, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. And Jesus Christ is our high priest. Verse 5, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become, to become high priest. But it was he who said to him, and here's God the Father in Psalm 2. He says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet, notice, Jesus, he learned obedience. It's amazing that even in the flesh, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And yet being perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. But notice, because of our transgressions, and here's how we can fit it into what we're looking at tonight in the cities of refuge. Because of our transgressions, our avenger of blood is who? Our avenger of blood. He's coming after us. Who is that that comes after us? Satan, right? Satan is the one who is always lying and always, um, he is the uh, accuser of the brethren, as it says in Revelation chapter 12. He is the father of lies. He is a murderer, Jesus said, from the beginning. He is our avenger of blood and he seeks to destroy us. And if he can't destroy us, he certainly wants to ruin your witness. He wants to ruin your life, even as a Christian. He can't take your salvation away, but he can certainly create circumstances because of the weakness of our flesh. He can create and set up things. Believe me, there is a a demon. Satan himself is very smart. Never think that he's some dumb angel. He is very smart. He's no match to Jesus, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. However, apart from Christ, we should never go toe-to-toe with him. He will outdo us every time apart from Christ. But in Christ, he's no match. But we ought not to uh, get haughty and stand up and start poking our finger in his chest. I would rather just let the Lord deal with him and I continue to worship my king. Amen? And so that's what we need to be doing because he's a murderer. In fact, in John chapter 8, Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, he, he says, You, you guys, you Pharisees, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand the truth because there's no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of it. That's Jesus' recommendation or his uh, commendation of Satan. But there is one who's studying you. You know, I look back at my life and I, I, I see how the devil has has been following me and looking for things. And believe me, he does. He's just waiting. He's very patient. He's been around for a long time. And it doesn't matter to him whether it takes 15 years, two months, two days, 20 years. It doesn't matter to him how long it takes. He just continues to feed the flesh and encourage the flesh. And before long, the spring is snapped and your life is messed up. Your wife leaves you because of some unrepentant sin in your life. Or maybe 
wife, you, 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 you've, you've been using credit cards and you've been gambling on the side and the next thing you know, you're, you've gambled all the money away and your husband's wondering where it is. And the spring of the trap gets sprung and you find your life a mess. That's what Satan does. But I love what, there's a song that we used to sing, it's called The Name of the Lord, and it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Remember that? The righteous run into it. They are saved. Okay. Yes. He is our strong tower. He is our refuge. David knew this very well in Psalm 46. What did he say? I love this psalm. He says, God is our refuge and our strength. Notice, a very present help in trouble. Where do you go when you're in trouble? When you're running from the avenger of blood, Satan is coming after you. Where do you run? Is your refuge like these cities of refuge? Do you run to one of those cities? Well, we can run right into Christ. We don't need to go to a city anymore. We can run directly to him. And we do that spiritually. Obviously, you can't run into him. But you get on your knees and you get into his presence and you bow your head and your heart and you submit yourself to him. That's how we do it. That's how we run into him. We get on our face and we cry out to him and we cut everything out of our, out of our focus and we just get to business with him. That's how we run into him. And I would encourage you to do that often. Run to the Lord. Don't run to your friend. Friends are nice, but friends can only do so much. Let your friendship, certainly you can confide in one another, and certainly you can share deep thoughts and things. There's nothing wrong with that. But your first person you should go to when you are having an issue in your life is you run into Christ. You run to him first before anybody else, before you get on Twitter, before you update your Facebook, before you do any of that stuff. Go to him. In fact, forget about that other stuff. Just go directly to him. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, the first four verses are really wonderful. It says, Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So in David's life, this was a great day because he would, God was like a refuge for David. I mean, how many times did David go into those, those caves along the En Gedi and along the western side of the Dead Sea there? We're going to be going there in two weeks. And we're going to go to these places where David and his men, they, they hid. We're going to see some of these places. Keep us in prayer. There's a lot of things kind of going on over there, but it's going to be interesting. It's good. But we'll be safe. There's no, there's no issues. But, I, but look what David said. He said, the Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. He is my deliverer. How many of us can say that with assurance? Verse 3, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, notice, and my refuge. Can you see the heart of David? And man, I, I, we need to reclaim that again. To let this prayer be our prayer. To say, Lord, you are my shield. You're the horn or you're the strength of my salvation. You're my savior. You're my stronghold, my refuge. My Savior, you have saved me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so I will be saved from my enemies. Isn't that the Lord's heart? Isn't that a good place to be? Who's going to touch you? Who can touch you? There's nobody who can touch you when you're in Christ. Your enemies will come after you. The avenger of blood will slander you. 
He will bring up things that you've done in the past and that you still have a trouble forgetting yourself. You may not forget a sin in your life that maybe you committed in the past. And you know what? We're human beings. We have a memory. And unfortunately, when we ask God to forgive us, he doesn't take the memory away. At least most of the time. I, I, does anybody, has it ever happened to anybody? It hasn't happened to me. I still remember. But he, he knows what he's doing. But you don't need to worry. You let him deal with those things. But when he's forgiven something... You're forgiven, and you have to, by faith, receive that forgiveness. But our flesh doesn't like it because we want to feel like we have something to do with it. We want to earn it somehow. And you dishonor Jesus when you try to do something in your flesh to make up for something that you've done that he's already forgiven you for. He said, child, I've forgiven you for that act. Why are you trying so hard? Why are you trying so hard to earn my forgiveness? Don't you believe what the Scripture said? But it's so easy, Lord. How can I just believe? It is that simple. And yet that's precisely why so many people trip over it. It's faith. Do you believe what God says or do you not? If you believe what he says, then you're set free. Even the guilt can go. But if you're going to hold on to those grave clothes, you're going to be a mess. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a mess. I want to forget those things in the past. Your flesh won't let you forget, and the devil certainly won't let you forget that. Have you ever had a really holy moment here at church? You're worshiping the Lord. It could be during communion. You're sitting here during a Bible study, a message, and some filthy thought from the past just floats by your head. Ever happen to anybody? It's happened to me while I've taught. Where'd that come from? The devil going, oh, I'm going to ruin your train of thought. I'll do anything I can to get you off track. And he does that to you too. But don't you listen. He's a defeated foe. We're just waiting for, the, for it to catch up to him. He knows his days are short. Let's go on to verse 7. So they appointed Kedish in Galilee in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains. And notice these three cities are on the west side of the Jordan. He mentions these first. And there's a reason for this, I believe. Uh, this is kind of interesting. But then he says, on the other side of the Jordan, verse 8. So now he's talking about on the east of the Jordan, he kind of goes in reverse order of how it really happened. On the east side, other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they, they assigned Bezir in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and, the, and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. And so all these tribes are there. And um, I won't take any um, claim for this, but I, I saw this by um, uh, Warren Wearsby. Uh, he recently passed away just a couple months ago, and um, one of the things I thought was interesting, and this is kind of interesting because here in chapter 20, it references these these cities of refuge in the opposite order in which they happen chronologically. You know, he speaks of the ones on the west first, but these are the ones on, on the east side, those are the ones that were first established, but he mentions these first, and then he mentions the others, and it's kind of puzzling, but it's it's interesting because Warren Wiersbe laid out the, the definitions of these cities. Kedish means righteousness. Shechem means shoulder. Hebron is fellowship. Bezir means fortress or strong. Ramoth means heights. Golan means exile. And these names can be used to describe what sinners, what you and I experience when we flee by faith to Jesus. 
In fact, this is the, the phrase. You can incorporate all these names into a, into a paragraph. It says, first, he gives them his righteousness, and they can never be accused again. There is no condemnation, Romans 8, verse 1. Like a shepherd, he carries them on his shoulders, and they enter into fellowship with him. He, Jesus, is their fortress, and they are safe, and they dwell in the heights, even though they are exiles, pilgrims, and strangers in this world. Pretty interesting. And it goes against the, the, the natural chronological order. And you know, everything, there, there's, a, there's something in this, and I think he probably hit on it right there. There's a reason for this. God is putting an order because he wants us to see it. As we look at these names and what they really mean, we can come away with the gospel even in these cities of refuge. We can see the gospel in them. So going on in verse 9, he says, These were the cities appointed to all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. And so let's get right into uh, chapter 21. Verses 1 through 8, is, is uh, this chapter is laid out really well. As most things in the Bible are, if you look at the organization of it, it's really clear. And let me give you what I mean. Draw a line after verse 8 here in your Bibles, because uh, verses 1 through 8 gives the outline of the cities, uh, the, the different tribes that they gave to the tribe of Levi. We know that the tribe of Levi was not to inherit any land, but all the different tribes, all the other 11 tribes, were to give cities to the Levites because their inheritance was God himself. Their inheritance was the ministry of the tabernacle. And that was their ministry. And so God gave them that ministry. And so they didn't have an inheritance, per se, like their other tribes. So the other tribes had to give up cities in each of their 12 locations. They had to give up certain cities for the Levites to dwell in. And this is really interesting, and let's just read to it. And then in verses 9 through 42, he specifically gives the specific names of the cities given by the other 11 tribes to the tribe of Levi. So here we have a fleshing out, really, from verses 9 through 42 of those cities. And then finally in verse 43 through 45, we see a record of God's promises being fulfilled. And so let's just read it. It says, Then the heads of the fathers of the house of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. So notice, the Levites now, after all this land has been partitioned out, the Levites come to Joshua, they come to Eleazar, and to the heads of the fathers of all the other tribes, and they say, Hey, what about us? You guys have gotten all your land and stuff, but Moses said that we are to have land, and so finally they figure this out. So in verse 2, and so they spoke to them in Shiloh. This is where the tabernacle was reared up for the first time in many years. They spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. And you can read about that in Joshua 14. You know, the, the Levites, again, they had no inheritance. The Lord was their inheritance, and there's plenty of scriptures uh, concerning that. The priesthood of the Lord, it was also their inheritance. And the offerings of the Lord made by fire, those were given to them as an inheritance. So they had a lot, but they still needed a place to live. They still needed a place for their, their, their cattle and their goats and, and sheep to, to grow and to eat. And so in verses 3 through 8, we see the cities that the, uh, of the families of the Levites that were given to them. 
and and there and within the tribe of Levi, we have three different families within that tribe. Uh, the Kohathites, this is where Aaron and his sons came from. And then we have the Gershonites and the Merarites. And each of these different families had very specific roles in the tabernacle, in the service of God. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.